Welcome to your path to success with Ruth Kearns-Volman, a podcast created to inspire, encourage, and equip you on your leadership journey. By the age of 35, today's guest, Marisa Kamal, was regional COO of Wealth and Personal Banking for HSBC in Dubai, with responsibility for a team of around 500 people and a multi-million dollar P&L. It was a position her younger self would never have imagined herself in. She was good at her job and she loved it. Then in 2021, her life was turned upside down. A series of challenging circumstances coming in quick succession caused her to stop and question what she really wanted from life and particularly from her career. She took 12 months to dig deep, take care of herself and get support to work through her questions. Two years later, Marisa has created a life and career much more aligned with her purpose and values. As a certified coach and consultant, deeply committed to fostering diversity and inclusion. During this conversation, you'll hear us talk about how Marisa established herself in the first stage of her career, how she navigated the valley in between, and how she redefined success for herself as she discovered and developed her purpose for the next stage. As fellow Gallup Strengths coaches, you'll also hear us talk about how our strengths shape who we are and how we show up at our best at work. Enjoy the interview. Today, I'm with my friend and colleague, Marisa Kamal, who is a business consultant and executive coach. And in her former career in banking and financial services, she was regional COO of Wealth and Personal Banking at HSBC, located in Dubai, which is where she works from today. Welcome, Marisa. Thanks so much, Ruth. It's great to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and we met because we're both Clifton Strengths coaches, and uh, we have a shared belief in the power of equipping people to understand and lead from their strengths. So just for people to get to know you a bit, what would you say is your greatest strength and perhaps your biggest potential blind spot? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a funny one. I guess if you're not familiar with Gallup, then you probably haven't heard of this. But the my top strength is something called woo. And that basically means that I love to meet new people and I love breaking the ice and I love being involved in kind of big groups and social events. The biggest blind spot for me, how that plays out sometimes is I can be having a conversation with one person at a party, but I've got my eye on kind of what's happening over the other side of the room. So it's a bit of a fear of missing out. And then when I think about that in the workplace, I can be quite desperate to move on from something. So once I've completed something or I've outgrown it, I'm looking to, I guess, move up and undertake mm. new tasks and new roles and responsibilities. Mm. So WOO is actually an acronym, isn't it? It stands for winning others over. And I actually do not have WOO. It is not anywhere near the top of my strengths, but I've got lots of colleagues or some colleagues at least who have that. And I've learned to love people with WOO because some people think that it's a bit superficial but actually, what I love about people who have this strength is that they tend to be genuinely warm. They're really good at making people feel comfortable. And that's super helpful, actually, for the group, as long as you can keep them involved. And I was just curious, though, as you were talking about it, this idea of new things and so on and wanting to move on. Is that really about woo or is there another strength there that you would associate with this liking to do new things and starting things and so on. Yeah, so I've also got in my top positivity 
adaptability and maximizer and that's all about like the combination together is all about kind of getting things started wanting to be the best possible and deliver at kind of a maximum pace and then not move on but it's all about variety yeah and with that kind of bringing in new people new ideas that's yeah that's what I like a lot of change yeah adaptability so you're quick to like shape things and move on when things change and so on Mm -hmm. that's brilliant and what I love about this tool actually is that the way the strengths are framed are sometimes things that maybe growing up I would never have thought of as a strength but I've actually shaped who I am so one of my top strengths is individualization which is seeing everybody as an individual and I love to see people's unique potential and another strength I have is connectedness and I realized when we were on the course together that those two together is what makes me do what I do. Like mm-hmm. to see people's individual potential for who they are. And then that together, this connectedness is that together we can make a difference. You know, everything is connected. So yeah, it's really powerful. And, and you know, as we talk about that whole discovering who you are and how it impacts what you do in your life, I'm just curious <laughs> how you got into financial services. Yeah, thank you, Ruth. So it's interesting, actually. So in terms of my background and my childhood, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So my dad, my brother, both salesmen, very successful. And just that, I guess they've got woo as well, you know, it's what they, (laughs) it's what they, um, what they thrive off and and why they're Mm -hmm. successful. But I went to college and I did the kind of the, I guess the usual educational route, whereas I'm the only person in my family to have been to university. And I think actually to have been to college, I think my parents and my brother and um, all left by 16. Mm. And I did well at college. Again, even at college, my path changed drastically. I started doing all the kind of science subjects because I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. I don't even know where I got that dream from. But then I was presented with a pig's eye and some kind of like surgical equipment and I just didn't touch it. Well, that was <laughs> I almost that you found out before, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then I switched and I thought I'll study kind of law, politics and maths because they're good subjects. You know, yeah. you whatever you do in life, if you have that kind of foundation, you'll you'll be successful with those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that finished, and I just sort of moved on naturally into university. Again, I think you know, looking back on it, it was quite unnatural for my family, really, and they sort of guided me into it because they were they were proud of me, and it, it's mm-hmm. a good thing to do. It's a logical next step. Mm-hmm. Even at university, I started studying economics and maths. And then shortly left a few months later because I decided I wanted to be a hairdresser. So I left, arrived home. My parents are like, you know, (laughs) why don't you go traveling? Give it some more thought. Like hairdressing's great, but, you know, you've got this like educational side to you. Why don't you think about using it? So I saved up, traveled the world, came back and I thought, right, I'm going to study law. So then I went to university in London and studied law. And mm-hmm. I had a great time and it all worked out. And again, I did reasonably well. And immediately after, I thought I would walk into a law firm, become an intern and qualify as a lawyer shortly afterwards. I then realized actually that's really tricky because 
every other lawyer or barrister has spent their summers doing internships for free at law firms, whereas I've been in Europe having fun (laughs) with my friends. (laughs) And it's quite difficult. You actually have to work. <laughs> you yeah. have to work hard. They work yeah. quite hard. Exactly. So then I went into maybe my first maybe role. Uh, lawyers are not so known for woo either. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and I think actually I see that now. And we'll talk about that. How that's played out and why maybe I've been successful in what I ended up doing. But then. After that, I I had my first role as an adjudicator. And then within about 10 months of that, I thought, no, this isn't for me. So at 24, I set up my own consultancy. And I would say it was all in financial services. So kind of linked to law and the adjudication role that I'd had before. But this, yeah, I would say that I kind of winged it, I guess, for a couple of years. Again, maybe a bit of imposter syndrome, but I would say that was probably very real age 24 doing mm. that and having a couple of people uh, working for me as well but the entrepreneurial then, spirit was there right that you grew up with yeah exactly exactly and and what I got from my parents was that I always felt like I had this fallback of if this doesn't work out I'll go and sell something I don't know what but I'll go and sell something you know I'll sell houses if I have to so I've always had that I guess, confidence, but not Mm. necessarily in what I was actually doing. And then after doing that for a couple of years, which was very, I would say, successful at the time, I decided that I needed a mortgage and I wanted to buy a house in London. Mm. So I started to work at Barclays, uh, Barclays Bank in the UK. Again, a year in, I felt like this isn't, this isn't really for me. I feel like the universe now, when I reflect, was, was trying to steer me off, but I just didn't listen to it. I thought, hanging and I had an amazing boss at the time and I said to her look I want to leave and I want to work in fashion PR I just want to work in something that excites me I'm really into fashion you know that works for me and she said look day I'll make sure that you get a good bonus and when you get your bonus um, then you can go off and do what you want but at the moment I would say that if you want a pair of shoes then you can go and buy them you know you don't have to work in fashion PR to get that but I actually recommend that you go to a consultancy firm rather than stay kind of in-house within financial services and that kind of sexier side you'll probably enjoy and it's way more varied versus what we do here so I made my decision so there's a bit of carrot there and a bit of stick in a way, a bit of knowing who you were, but a bit of sort of trying to incentivise you to stay for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I did stay. I waited for my bonus and then I went to look at industry and had a couple of job offers on the table. One was with a consultancy firm and the other one was with HSBC, where I ended up staying for nine and a half years. And they sort of convinced me to go there over the consultancy firm on the basis that it involved loads of travel, you know, it'd be very varied and and it sounded exciting, you know, it ticked that box for me of of travel Mm -hmm. and also in a global organisation like that, just meeting people from all over the world and just the mix of diversity and and culture. And then I can't believe nine and a half years passed, honestly. Mm -hmm. So within that nine and a half years, I six very different roles. I worked in risk, compliance, finance, strategy across Latin America and Europe. And then that culminated in, in me being here in Dubai as the regional COO for wealth and personal banking. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, a long journey and various different points where I sort of 
had a bit of self-doubt, but I continued. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, how this initial part of our career, getting ourselves established, is a mixture of our experimentation, of who we are, of what we've known, of what we want. Like you sort of mentioned that you were driven a bit by the shoes and the status and also the then there comes that, oh, I want to get a house, so I have to have a mortgage, so it has to be a bit stable. And these considerations of how we're establishing ourselves in the world, essentially, and how you were still driven by the same the same parts of who you are, like the variety and the travel and the the excitement and and all your people skills, in fact. So once you got to that point and you're in quite a position of responsibility by this stage, you know, 500 people reporting to you, working in your team, you had huge PL responsibility. What did you love about what you did? And what was perhaps less appealing or maybe even missing from that job? Yeah, so I think what was appealing, I guess the money, it's difficult to not talk about that. And throughout, I guess, the first stage of my career, which we're still talking about, I was very driven by by money. But outside of that, I just loved the energy, you know, the buzz of launching new products, being in big strategic meetings, to bringing the team together more than anything and seeing people grow. So for me, I very much of the if you get the people strategy right, the rest will take care of it itself. And I don't think all leaders have that view, but I believe that if people like you, they're aligned to the company's vision, objectives and strategy, and they know what it is, they'll go above and beyond to deliver. So I had hugely successful teams there, you know, and I really thrive off, like I said, meeting new people and I have a genuine interest that's perhaps a bit deeper than some were, and that comes from a bit of individualization, which I have as well, which um, you talked about. So I like getting to know people on the surface, but I also like to get mm. deep with people and bond over food and experiences. Mm. And here, particularly in well, Latin America, I had it as well. I lived in Brazil for a couple of years, but but here as well, you know, it's 90% expat in the UAE and, and there's something like 130 different nationalities at HSBC here. So it's incredible to work and get to know people at that level. And I haven't seen it anywhere else in the world. I think what I found less appealing, which I actually learned to overcome, but kind of at the start and then some situations I would get myself into was that real imposter syndrome. So never really feeling like I was the full package. And I think that comes from this. I was very successful in all of the roles I had there throughout my career. But I would say it's not from me being an SME or a technical expert necessarily. It's from my ability to bring people together Mm. to deliver on objectives and and actually now that I'm aware of my strengths I see that as just as good as being the technical person you know it's just different right it's I don't spend time perhaps to learn about all the details which is a passion for a lot of people but now I've realized that I don't need to and I don't pretend to I started to, to overcome that imposter syndrome I started to just be be realistic about stuff and, and stop imagining things that are worse than they are. I looked at back at history where I've been successful and the reasons why. And, you know, I, I was vulnerable. I would 
tell people if I felt uncomfortable or mm. I felt like I wasn't the best person to be speaking at an event or if I needed help, you know, I just, I didn't pretend. And then there is part of it, which is just practice and, and make out like you're good at it. And you are, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're talking to some of the principles that we we work on with people's strengths, which is when you started owning who you are and not trying to be someone you're not, you also get better at including people who are good at those things because you don't need to be good at everything. You can use other people in your team to deliver with you. So I think the partnerships idea is is good. It helps you and your confidence of who you are, but it also helps include other people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm fascinated now by other people's strengths. You know, Ruth, I think you and I have very different profiles in our kind of top five. Yeah, Um, we do. Yeah, yeah, but it's fascinating and amazing, actually, what you can achieve when you combine forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not comparing negatively to other people like, oh, I I don't have woo. I'm not like Maria. I'm not very good. Marisa, I'm not very good at this or whatever. But I'm rather saying, oh, we could make a good partnership here because I can do this and and she can do that or or whatever. It's a different way. Absolutely. Yeah, there you are in this kind of really big role and you have your first child in 2001, you go on maternity leave. Tell us about what happened then. Yeah, so I guess my whole life got turned upside down and it's crazy. So yeah, I had a baby in 2021, Paloma in September, and it really hit me like a ton of bricks, honestly. So I worked up until the day she was born, just crazy busy, you know, usual handover stuff, like being delayed for various reasons went into labor, um, had a challenging birth, which I think everybody does and (laughs) nobody talks about. And then afterwards, I just felt something wasn't right. I didn't feel myself. Mm. I just felt so negative. I, the love wasn't there as in that big rush of love that people talk about. Yeah, it was a pretty dark place. And then shortly afterwards, a few months afterwards, I ended up having catching pneumonia, which I actually can't believe in hindsight, given that it's like 40 degrees in Dubai. <laughs> but I caught pneumonia pneumonia, and it was a really scary time. I wondered whether I was going to live and the positivity in me just drained. As I started to get better, thankfully, I really took the time to reflect and think I need to change my life now and I need to talk about this stuff and I need to get better and then I was due to return to work six months after Paloma was born and I was actually really excited about it because I had all this negative stuff happening in my own head I just wanted to get back to like what I knew honestly kind of get out of the house and and be away from so I wasn't really facing it properly and then some changes were made to my role And I reflected after a long period of of doing the work on myself, and perhaps we can talk a bit about that, but I reflected and just thought, I don't know what I want from my life yet, but this isn't it. This corporate career and everything that I've known for the last many years isn't it for me anymore. Mm. Mm. So you were... Already, like, you have your your daughter, you are not good, you're not in a good mental health state, then you get physically sick, 
then you're looking forward to going back to work and something a bit normal or feeling like, you, you know, something that you know. And then there's some restructuring or something's happening at work and you're like, is this really what I want? Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> all, everything's conspiring to make you, to knock you off balance, really. Mm-hmm. And How I you describe that feeling, Marisa? Well, I felt at the time it was just so disorientating, you know, and so uncomfortable for me. Like I'm such a positive person and normally I can see the light and I just couldn't kind of get a grip of it. And yeah, I really opened up to people and just started talking about stuff. You know, I'd go to mum's groups and if people ask me how I was, I'd just say, I'm not fine. Like this is really bad and Mm. I don't like spending time with my child particularly. And then it was amazing actually how many people did say, yeah, I feel the same. It's horrific. Mm. You know, let's just go out for a coffee or whatever on our own, get a babysitter or ask like our partners to look after and let's just have that time. And that was kind of the the mum side. And I realised I had so many friends who had been through the same thing and actually hadn't spoken about it at all. Mm. And I felt terrible, you know, but they probably felt that I wouldn't understand, which is true because I hadn't had children. But there's just a whole whole host of people that just never talk about it Mm. because it's so glamorized and there's a lot of shit there as well about how you should be as a mom and uh so on yeah that stop you admitting that things aren't working or Mm. yeah I remember having a conversation with my mum actually and I said you know I I'm just not feeling the love yet my mum's response was Oh yeah, that's normal. I didn't love you until you were about two. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, I've only got twenty-four months to go. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's great that you could though start to talk about it. And it sounds like as you started to open up about it, you gave other people permission to do that too. Mm. Yeah. What other support did you get? Because you really started to reevaluate everything at this point, particularly your mm-hmm. career. You said yeah, you didn't so want I... this. You knew you didn't want this life anymore. Yeah, so I had a therapist who was amazing as well. And we talked a lot about purpose because I think a lot of the things that I would say were conflicting, you know. So I'd talk about my role in the corporate environment, but then I would give a different spin on how uh, how I want my life to be or how things should be. And she just kind of, you know, asked poignant questions about, you know, does it does it truly make you happy and does it really align to your values and, and what you think you were you were here to do? And then I spent a lot of time thinking about purpose. Purpose for me, just like I said, I had to dig really deep to think mm-hmm. about this. And it wasn't like all these events happened and then three months later I was back, you know, like doing what I wanted to do. This was a a 12-month period after all of those events, I just took time. Fortunately, I was able to manage money-wise, so I had I was alleviated of that pressure for a while. But I really just thought about what truly matters to me, what legacy do I want to leave behind, mm. and thought about what strengths do I have that can lead to a higher purpose. And one of the big things about what I do now and what I'm really passionate about is around diversity and inclusion. 
So I read a lot about that and how I can make a difference in that space, working with individuals, but also organisations on on driving like wholesale cultural change, which for me is if I can empower the next leaders of tomorrow, then that's what I want to do, use both my natural skills and abilities, plus my corporate background to really make a difference. Yeah. So now you've, you're very positive. So you're skipping to the other side of the, of the valley, <laughs> but really this was a valley that lasted about a year. You said you took a year, mm. really reevaluate everything. You had a therapist, you read, you really took the time to question. What other things helped you? in that season, maybe some practices or habits that that supported you to go through that? Yeah, so there were, it really wasn't easy. And there were things that I thought I would never do, or I've always dismissed kind of tools that are available, things like, you know, meditation, as an example, Mm. and learning how to clear my mind when it's always been a busy place and I've always been like on the go and being comfortable with being still both Mm -hmm. physically and mentally. So I did a lot of work on being able to meditate, which is very painful. And I'm definitely not the sort that reaches kind of an inner divana within five minutes, not at all. I still have, when I meditate, lots going on in my mind, but it, it does clear um eventually which I never had before and I feel like off the back of that I'm a more thoughtful person generally in Mm. terms of my actions and the way that I respond to stuff and it's not in the meditation when that happens it's outside of the meditation I'm able to kind of click back in and 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 think more Mm. more logically well-being more broadly when you're in corporate environments, particularly, it's easy to get into this 12-hour day and think it's normal. And you're all there, you know, at 8 p.m. having a meeting and getting hyped up about, you know, the next day strategy meeting or whatever it might be. And mm. and actually, when I reflect, I think, what do I want my legacy to be? Who do I want to spend my time with? And what's important to me? And the, and the reality is I'd rather be at home with Paloma and my husband or out seeing my friends or you know even at the gym or reading a book then I would really be in those environments sort of building up on potential burnout which is what happened to me in the end and you know on top of that you went through this tough valley you re-evaluated you know your purpose and so on And and we often talk about, you know, the first part of life, the first part of the career is all about establishing ourselves in the world. We we find a partner, a family, a house, a career. We're known for something. We, you know, we become someone. And then in the valley, you know, life knocked you sideways. And you had to almost redefine or reimagine your purpose and what success means to you. How do you define success for yourself now? Yeah, so I love the reflection. And it is crazy, actually, that you are handed a definition of what success looks like. In the Western world, that's very much a, you go to university or you have your own business, you 
earn a lot of money as much as possible. You buy a house. You know, even when I think about, I was desperate to buy a house at 24. There's no reason for that, really. And that's shaping ourselves, proving energy, right? Yeah, 100%. And that then shaped that need or want to buy a house, then shaped the next steps. And one thing I really hope that I don't pass on to my own children is that, you know, it's like zero base expectations. You do what you want to do, what makes you happy and you follow your heart and your passion. And I believe you'll be more successful as a result of that. In terms of how I define success, it's really about aligning my actions with purpose. You know, I want to have a a meaningful impact on people and the world. And when I look at kind of what I used to do, I, I, it was exciting, you know, and I love working with people. And, and don't get me wrong, I understand why people are there and why they do what they do. But for me, the content was very dry. Mm-hmm. I like to make a difference to the way that people feel. And that's difficult to do within that corporate kind of structure. You can create a an ecosystem within your team, but there's lots of variables outside that that impact people as well Mm. my personal definition of success would be to make workplaces more inclusive and be able to empower others Mm. what how does that success play out in your whole life not just in what you do for your work what does it look like at home success yeah so from a good question and perhaps way more important. <laughs> so in terms of how that plays out at home, I mean, I want to nurture the relationships that I have and really enjoy myself, you know, and I'm a much better person now at home. I'm much more present. I don't have the weight of the world on my shoulders that doesn't need to be there, you know. I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want to make the most of life. I want to travel. I want to meet people. And I know this sounds really cliche, but I think when you've been through a really challenging time, you do appreciate the smaller things and your health so much more. Mm. And now, can I say, would I be proud with it, of everything that I've done in my life? And now I've turned this corner, I would say yes. Before I would say no, I would say I lacked purpose. Right. And I gave too much of my personal life to to my work. Mm. Yeah. It's about the balance, who's the slave and who's the master. You know, we mm-hmm. build up these things for ourselves in our lives, like our career or a certain financial success and standard of living that become the master that we have to keep feeding rather mm-hmm. than asking, what do I really want? And in your case, you know, life knocked you sideways and you had to ask yourselves those questions and so much of the time we don't ask ourselves the question we've just kind of got the golden handcuffs and we can't set ourselves free from it I I don't know what you think I think it's um it's just interesting for me this idea of what's the slave and what's the master what's driving me here yeah that really resonates and I think you know when I had that role my most recent role was COO in in that position. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that I would have got to that position by age 35. You know, when I first started out, it wasn't even an ambition of mine, honestly. Mm. And then when you start to look up, it's like, okay, that sort of thing's like the golden position. Okay, that's great. You get there and then you reflect and you're like, is this it? (laughs) Right. You know, which is... 
didn't fully satisfy me, even though I'd reached way beyond my ambition. Mm. I get what you're saying as well around the need to prove yourself and say you've done certain things. And strangely, I still have that now. And I'm, I'm doing some work to try and let it go, you know, so not preempting and explaining who I was. And I shouldn't even say who I was because work shouldn't define like who you are at all. But I sometimes feel the need, particularly when I'm meeting new coaching clients or going into organizations, I always say what I used to do. Yeah. And there is a place for that because, you know, as I said to you earlier, that people want to know that you can identify with where they are. Mm. And you then give them hope that perhaps there's something different. If they're asking the question, is this it? You know, the is this it question is a healthy question. It's a normal question. You know, I think at 35 plus when you've been, you know, 10 plus years in a, in a career, it's a healthy, normal question. And so, you know, that's a message also to people listening is this is a normal mm. question. You don't have to be, you know, completely ha- have a health crisis to ask yourself that. But it, it is work. You know, there is a valley there that we go through before we start climbing another mountain with another purpose, which is what you're doing now. And on our way up the mountain, it's interesting, someone said this to me a few years ago, on the way up the mountain, we start to let go of things that are holding us back. And this second mountain that you're not more climbing now is much more about giving Mm -hmm. back and purpose and a more fulfilled life, a more complete life than the first Mm -hmm. stage of your career. I want to close, Marisa, by asking you, for for people who are listening who may be going through this tough period of of the valley, what encouragement or advice would you give to them? You know, these people who might be struggling with these questions about if they're in the right place or or even going through very difficult health challenges like you were. Mm. So the biggest thing is acknowledge your feelings and sitting with it. You know, it's not going to last forever. Like I said, my own journey was a year before I really kicked things back off again, snapped back into action. But that took time. It took introspectively looking at myself, my values, my purpose and what I want, and then looking at what was available to me. It's okay to take a break. Don't feel guilty about it. You work for so many years in a corporate environment or, you know, mm-hmm. trying your own business. It's it's okay to take a break. Life doesn't necessarily have to revolve around work and it shouldn't do. Reach out for help. Talk about it. Use your connections. People want to help. They get satisfaction from helping other people. You know what it's like when you give. It feels good. And one step at a time. So don't look to the top of the mountain. Um, look at each step that you're taking and celebrate those wins I mean if I reflect on where I am now even and you can hear how positive I am about it I'm Mm. probably on step three of 20 Mm. you know so and I'm happy because I'm doing something that I really care about and making a difference so those would be my I guess my reflections on on my valley and how Mm. they might play out to someone else Mm. so acknowledge your feelings reach out for help celebrate the small wins step by step on your way mm-hmm. up and you know I think it's so important to have people who can hold out hope for us and I think that's what you're doing so thank you so much uh, I personally um, having got to know you a little bit over the past few months have a lot of admiration for your journey both the first mountain and the courage to go through that valley and carve out a second mountain so 
Thank you so much for sharing today. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to find what you've shared really, really helpful. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Marisa's life was turned upside down and it forced her to reconsider what she really wanted in work and life. As you heard, it was not an easy process and it took time, but it has radically changed her life for the better as she has redefined what success means for her. Whether triggered by external factors or not, it's actually not unusual to start to question your path as you progress in your career. If you're in the messy middle of your career where you're questioning what's really worth committing to, first know that this is a normal part of life. Then, as Marisa so wisely said, start by acknowledging your feelings and reach out for help to people you know you can trust. I've coached dozens of people in exactly this situation. In fact, I'm currently piloting an assessment for mid-career professionals aged 35 plus who feel something is missing in their lives and who feel they have so much more to give than they are currently doing. The objective is to give yourself a gentle reality check and to pinpoint the drivers of dissatisfaction at work and in the rest of your life. I'm looking for six people, six volunteers to test the beta version of the assessment for me and give me feedback. And in exchange, I'll offer you a 40 minute debrief coaching on how you can take things forward and build a more fulfilling life. If that could be you, then please do send me an email at ruth at yourpathtosuccess.ch or contact me via my website. And if you're in Switzerland, I have a date for your calendar. I'm running my next one-day workshop called Reignite Your Purpose on Saturday the 26th of August at the Evaness Hotel in Chavan. It's a great opportunity to reconnect with your passion and purpose and realign your priorities and objectives before the busy fall season begins. All the information and registration can be found on the events page of my website, yourpathtosuccess.ch. I'll be sharing more about what I've been learning about the different stages of life and what I'm calling the first and second mountains over the summer. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be sure you don't miss an episode. Have a wonderful summer. Take the time to refresh and renew your energy and to consider who you are becoming and who you want to be. 